Hi there, I'm Adam Leventhal and welcome to the first of the Athletics Premier League Countdown podcast. With the return of the 2019 season only days away, we're releasing 20 shows on the Ornstein and Chapman feed, each one dedicated to a different Premier League team. That is two podcasts a day, every day, up until football returns. Now, if you're not a subscriber, you can sign up right now and take advantage of our 30-day free trial by going to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman, and that is to enjoy the best football writing anywhere just as the season makes its return. Today, we are discussing Arsenal, who sit ninth in the Premier League table, and we can welcome one of the Athletics' dedicated Arsenal writers, James McNicholas. James, thanks very much uh, for coming on board today. You're also the host of our Arsenal podcast, Handbrake Off, which has been running episodes all season and throughout the lockdown. Just point us in the direction of some of your your favourite moments then. Well, it's actually been great to be doing Handbrake Off during the lockdown because everyone's been a bit more available. And so we've been able to get some great guests on the show. We've had interviews with the likes of David Seaman, uh, with Lauren, with Michael Thomas, Glenn Helder. Some really, really fascinating chats. And actually, in our most recent episode this week, we had David Ornstein on, who you'll know very well from The Athletic. And if you listen to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast, and we were talking about Project Restart, how it's affected Arsenal, Arsenal's involvement in it, the wage cut that happened at Arsenal, why that hasn't happened so much elsewhere and also European football and the prospects of that taking place next season. David so full of insight as always so that's definitely worth a listen if you're interested in anything to do with Arsenal at all. Yeah definitely uh, check that one out. Check out all of the uh, the Handbrake Off podcast because there have certainly been uh, many uh, an entertaining moment throughout the season so far. I mean, you, you've mentioned so much that has happened uh, during lockdown. Just remind us where Arsenal are and, and how they were doing back in March, because it does feel like a long, long time ago, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, Arsenal might be first up on the Premier League Countdown podcast, but they're sadly not first in the table. (laughs) They are ninth when they left it. But I think that it's been an extraordinary season 29-20 for Arsenal so far. If you were going to do a previously on Arsenal, it would take you about an hour. I mean, think of all the things that went on. Granit Xhaka booed off by his own fans, stripped of the captaincy. Uh, Unai Emery, everything going wrong for him, being sacked, Freddie Umberg coming in, being the caretaker coach, but without any assistant coaches in a sort of nightmare scenario for him, only Per Mertzaka to help him out. Then Mikel Arteta comes in for his first ever managerial job. And, you know, look, he turns the team around to a certain extent, but then he gets diagnosed with coronavirus and everything unfolds from there. It has been an extraordinary few months. But as for how Arsenal and Arteta and the team are faring, pretty well. I mean, you know, it took them a little while to get that first win. It was his third game, I believe it was, against Manchester United when they won 2-0. But since then, they've been unbeaten domestically, uh, really strong in the Premier League, improved defensively. There was a a big caveat to it all, which was the Europa League. They went out against Olympiacos, a bit of a nightmare match. I mean, they won the away leg and it was overturned in the home leg. At the time, it felt like a real gut punch because Arsenal had built some momentum and looked to have turned a bit of a corner. Now, obviously, with... I mean, European football in question, how that's going to be played out, the remainder of those competitions. It probably feels like not such a bad thing for Arsenal fans and they can focus on the Premier League where 
there's still quite a lot up for grabs. I mean, fifth place, not too far away. Arsenal needs some kind of European qualification, given the financial constraints that will inevitably be on them uh, after this crisis. I mean, in terms of qualifying for Europe, obviously, yes, you would want to chase down that that fifth spot and, and qualify for the Champions League. If that doesn't happen, considering the experiences of the last couple of seasons, do you think Arsenal fans would probably think, you know what, we're probably better off out of it and just stick where we are. Thank you very much. (laughs) It's a really good question. And I don't think there'll be a huge amount of enthusiasm among the Arsenal fans about the prospect of another Europa League campaign. As for the Champions League, I mean, fifth place, it's not that far away in terms of the table. But you've got to remember that between Arsenal and fifth place, While the points gap may not be so big, there are other teams in those gaps. So there's Sheffield United, there's Tottenham, there's Wolves. It's not like it's a two-horse race here. Arsenal are reliant on other teams dropping away as well as themselves picking up form. So that feels a little bit ambitious to me. But as for being in the Europa League, I think it's probably more important to Arsenal than maybe many fans would care to admit. Uh, I know it's an uncomfortable truth for Arsenal that they have sort of become a Europa League club by consistently appearing in that competition, but it does help them out financially. I mean, if you think about it, Arsenal asked their players to take a 12.5% pay cut. Uh, Now, granted, some of that will be restored if they qualify for one of the European competitions, but that saved them about £30 million. Well, Arsenal could probably expect to make around that from their participation in the Europa League. So if it's a precious enough sum of the money for them to try and save it on a wage cut, I think it's a precious enough sum of money that they need to try and qualify for European competition and be in their next season. In terms of what Arteta was able to do, mm. uh, you know, in the short period of time that he was in charge from from December up until lockdown started, who were the players that seemed to be upgraded in their performances after he took over? Well, it's really interesting because one of the really smart things Arteta did when he came into Arsenal was he made it clear, and to be fair, Freddie Jumberg had done this to an extent as well, that everybody had a clean slate. And that meant that some players who hadn't necessarily been considered for selection or who seemed to be out in the cold have come back into the fold. I mean, a really obvious one is Granite Xhaka, who was headed out the door before Arteta took charge. I mean, there was interest from the Bundesliga. His relationship with the fans, with the club, appeared broken. You know, he really took it to heart, everything that went on between him and the supporters on that fateful night where he was substituted and booed off and responded to it. And But he came straight back into the team under Arteta and became a bit of a figurehead, really, of that team, playing a really interesting tactical role, a central midfielder, but dropping in in possession to play kind of as an auxiliary fullback and allowing the left fullback or wingback in Bukayo Saka to really push on and be a, a, an attacking threat in the final third. And there are others, Shkodra Mustafi, an Arsenal player who seemed, you know, his Arsenal career was in tatters, really. Arteta's shown faith in him. And, you know, by the time uh, football was stopped, he was in the first choice defensive pairing alongside David Luiz. Other players to mention, of course, Aubameyang. I mean, Arsenal have been reliant on his goals all season long. And while Arteta does appear to have shored Arsenal up defensively a little bit, they've lost uh, a bit of the sort of attacking verve you'd characterise an Arsenal team as having. They're not creating loads of chances and because of that, Aubameyang's efficiency is really important. Invariably, when he gets a chance, he's taking it at the moment or has done this season 
And the other player, I touched on him briefly, Bukayo Saka. I mean, he has been a revelation for Arsenal this season. They've had a lot of problems at left-back. They signed Kieran Tierney for big money last season. He's had a lot of injury problems. I think maybe people who saw him at Celtic could have predicted that. Uh, Kolasinac has been out injured too. They sold Nacho Monreal back in the summer against the wishes of Unai Emery. It's meant Bukayo Saka filling in as a left-back. It's a role he played when he was about 15, 16, but he'd been an attacking player primarily in the academy. He's been brilliant. Arteta created a system that really suited him, that allowed him to overlap, to get into the final third, create chances, score goals, make assists. And he's, I think, the great big hope for Arsenal ahead of the restart of football. Yeah, there's some there's some good young prospects, which mm. I'm sure Mikel Arteta will you know aim to get the best out of. But I just wanted to sort of pick out a couple of the names that you mentioned there in 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 terms of Pierre Emerick Aubameyang and David Luiz, there's you know the two sort of hot potatoes in terms of their long term futures. There's there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether they're going to be at the football club uh, next year. What's your understanding of of where they stand right now? Well, to begin with, David Luiz, the first thing to say is that when he signed for the club uh, last summer, it was now there was. Uh, it was widely reported that he'd signed a two-year contract. Now, it's since emerged that that was, in fact, a one-plus-one contract. So for one year with an option for a second year. And that uh, clause had an expiry date on it. There was a window in which Arsenal needed to enact it in order to trigger the second year of that contract. Now, that that clause uh, expired during the, the midst of the coronavirus crisis, really in the peak of it. It went by when, frankly, contract negotiations were kind of the last thing Arsenal were thinking about. The coronavirus crisis hit them very particularly, obviously, with Arteta being diagnosed uh, after the Olympi- Olympiacos match and everything that unfolded from that point. So Louise is in a, a little bit of limbo at this point. His contract runs till June 30th, but it will probably be extended to allow him to play out the remainder of the Premier League. But then Arsenal have got a really difficult decision because he's a player that Mikel Arteta really likes. He likes him technically in terms of what he can do on the ball. He's a brilliant distributor from the back. And in this Arsenal team, he just gives them so many more options. He, he's able to go direct. He can hit Aubameyang from 40 or 50 yards away if needed. And it just changes things up and gives Arteta the flexibility he wants in possession. But he also really, really values him as a character. And since Unai Emery left, David Luiz has really emerged as one of the leaders of this Arsenal squad in a squad that isn't blessed with too many. He's someone who the young players really look up to, who sets a great example on the training ground. He's fantastic with the media, always willing to front up afterwards, whatever the result. I think he's been a real mentor for Gabriel Martinelli, a young Brazilian who came over 18 years of age and has made a big, big impact himself. So if it was down to Arteta, I think he would definitely want to keep Luiz. The issue is he's on a big salary. He's on around £200,000 a week. That's £10 million a season. And Arsenal, in this new financial reality, have to look at that and wonder whether it's something they can afford to do. I mean, they've got Mesut Ozil on grand a week. He's not going anywhere. Maybe a club that has already asked its players to take a pay cut is looking at the Luis situation and looking at how many other centre-backs they have and thinking we might be able to afford to let him go. It's not ideal because they've got people like Socrates, Mustafi, who I think in, a, in Arteta's ideal scenario, he would sell before Luis, but they may have to make a financial decision there. And I think, you know, Arsenal aren't the only club facing up to these kinds of realities where maybe finance comes before the technical element. 
As for Abemiang, he's got another 12 months to, to run on his deal. If you'd asked me in January, February, will he be here next season? I think I would have said absolutely not. Uh, you know, Abemiang is a, a world-class striker and he's shown that with his performances. And Arsenal aren't playing in European football's top competition, the Champions League. And I think he really wants to be there. And I think he deserves to be there. The only thing that's given me a bit of pause for thought now is, is there going to be a buyer for a player who is over 30? Arsenal would command a substantial fee, you would think, for a player with still another year to go on his contract and who's so valuable to them. I do wonder if, given that the transfer market is going to be severely impacted by everything we've seen happen, it might be the case that he does remain with Arsenal until the end of his contract. He's got another 12 months there. I think he doesn't show any signs of slowing down and I think he'd have options for a pretty lucrative Bosman move at the end of that deal. So of the two right now, I'd say Aubameyang's probably got the greater chance of being there next season. I think that will probably please Arsenal fans on the Mm. whole because they would probably think that they could deal without David Luiz, I I suppose, if you had to pick the the two of them. But it seems to me from, you know, from the outside looking in that although there was sort of a little bit of trepidation from Arsenal fans before David Luiz um, arrived, they seem to sort of be won over by him, and and now it would be almost a shame if he if he did leave. But I just wanted to sort of touch on how you know that the narrative has um, changed at Arsenal since the Arsene Wenger days in terms of the central defensive positions. There was always call for you know a dominant centre half, and it has to be done, and it didn't seem to appear. Things seem to be changing with Unai Emery, even though he might not have got the right personnel. He was maybe thinking, yes, we do need to firm up at the back. What are the big things that remain unsolved in terms of the next couple of transfer windows? However much money there is swishing around in in the coffers, what are the big issues? You know, what are the big issues for, for Arsenal fans in terms of we have to strengthen here? Well, Arsenal fans will hope that the centre-half situation will be in part solved by William Saliba's arrival. They paid a lot of money to buy him from St Etienne last season. He spent the season on loan in France. He's got a loan contract with them that expires June 30th. He won't be eligible to play in the remainder of the 2019-20 fixtures, but a lot of hopes are being pinned on him at the heart of the defence. It's a lot of pressure for a young guy, 19 years old, coming over from France to the Premier League. He's been in a relegation battle with St Etienne this season, uh, although he was due to play a, a cup final with them against PSG. A lot of pressure on him, and I, I hope, you know, for Arsenal fans' sake, he lives up to the billing, because clearly he's very well regarded. But I think the areas that do need addressing, central midfield is the big one. You know, Granit Xhaka has become relatively integral to Arteta's team, but... I don't think anyone who's watched Granit Xhaka regularly over the last three or four years or how long he's been at Arsenal would say that he is the complete midfielder. And when you come to pick a partner for him, it's really quite difficult at the moment. Uh, just before football stopped, Danny Ceballos was the the number one pick alongside Xhaka for Arteta. But he's only here on loan from Real Madrid. There's talk about a £40 million transfer fee for him. I don't see Arsenal paying that. And given... 
kind of the inconsistency in his performances, I'm not sure there's a justification for it. Then aside from that, you've got Lucas Torreira. Well, there's always talk about his future, about him being unsettled, potentially going back to Italy. Neither Emery nor Freddy Jumberg nor Arteta has ever put too much faith in Torreira as kind of the, the pivot at the base of the midfield. And then you've got Matteo Genduzzi, who is a really promising young player, but again, very young, not necessarily ready to be playing every single game. And if you think about the great Arsenal teams that we saw under Arsene Wenger, you know, even going back to 98, 97, 98, you had Vieira alongside Petit. And then moving on to the Invincibles, you had, uh, you know, Gilberto Silva alongside Vieira. Arsenal don't have central midfielders of that calibre, people who really provide protection for the back four. So I think that will be the focus of their attentions in whatever happens in the next transfer window. So we've got 10 games to go. Mm -hmm. Um, Just remind people that the challenges to come and and also your expectations of those final 10 games. Where do you think Arsenal uh, are going to finish? Well, they start with a tricky one. I mean, Arsenal fans have been able to look at this table for some time thinking, well, hang on, we've got a game in hand here. It doesn't look too bad. And then when it was announced that football was coming back and Arsenal realised their game in hand was away against Manchester City, uh, I think everyone suddenly probably felt a little bit less good about that. Uh, But Arsenal are a team who in the last couple of years have had a really dreadful away record. Um, It was particularly bad in Wenger's final season, not much better in Unai Emery's last year. And I do wonder if in grounds which won't have fans in them, there might be some benefit to Arsenal there. Perhaps without the hostile atmospheres that they would encounter, uh, they will flourish. It certainly seems that that way because they're due to go to the new White Hart Lane for a London derby. I think they would be much happier if indeed the fixture is held there. I think there's still some question over that. If it happens in a ground without any fans, I think that would be much more to Arsenal's liking. As for what I think will happen, I think Arsenal will qualify for Europe. I wouldn't say they'll make it to the Champions League, but I think under Arteta they've got a real chance to to generate some momentum. They had momentum when football stopped. I think the players really do believe in what he's trying to do. I think they have a lot of advantages at this point. At a time when other clubs, you know, maybe are looking at the transfer market and thinking about how limited they're going to be. Arsenal are really blessed in they've got a really exciting young clutch of academy players. I mean, we've mentioned Saka, we've mentioned Martinelli, uh, but there are more, you know, Joe Willock, Reese Nelson, Eddie Nketiah, who was starting to make an impression at Premier League level before things halted. Uh, and I'm backing those guys to make a bit of an impact between now and the remainder of the season. I think Arteta's going to have an eye on the future. And I think Arsenal will get into the Europa League Probably by the Premier League, but I wouldn't rule out the FA Cup either. Arteta's got a big association with that competition. He helped Arsenal end their nine-year trophy drought, winning the FA Cup in 2014. They've got a quarter-final against Sheffield United, and they'll fancy their chances there, and maybe going on to win a piece of silverware, which would be a fantastic result for Arteta's crazy first season in management. And has Arteta got a lot of credit in the bank with Arsenal fans? Do Do you see this relationship building and building? I do. And it's really interesting because in Arteta's time as a player, I don't think he was absolutely adored by fans. 
simply because I think they they looked at him and they worried about his lack of athleticism. I think everybody respected his intelligence and his technique. But people wondered, you know, he had a lot of injury problems. Could he really compete in the intensity of the Premier League? I think he certainly did that in the early part of his Arsenal career. But in the later part, he was a captain, but an absent captain. One who was predominantly on the sidelines, either for selection reasons or, or injury reasons. But something that he really left an impression with was his attitude, his work ethic his desire to win, the example he set as a captain, as a leader. He didn't please everybody. A lot of people who you spoke to at London Colney at the training ground around that time would tell you that Mikel Arteta could be quite a difficult man. But the reason that he can be a difficult man is that he is so exacting in his standards. He shares that in some ways with Pep Guardiola, who he worked with for, for such a long time. He is so demanding, such a perfectionist. You know, he really is one of these coaches who will watch a game again and again until he's found the problem, until he's found the solution. And uh, I think the players really back him, the fans back him too. I think the fact that he is an ex-Arsenal player has brought him a little bit of credit. But the main thing that's brought him credit is the change they've seen in the team. You know, I always think of his first home match, I think it was, against Chelsea back in December. And Arsenal actually lost that game. But they lost it in a fashion that showed that they were competing again. The players looked like they had a plan. They looked like they believed in that plan. And I remember a friend of mine who's an Arsenal fan said to me afterwards, it really hurt that they lost that game. And it was good that it hurt because it suggested that they were doing something right, that they deserved more. And I do think that Arsenal fans believe in this project. I think that they knew it would be difficult to replace Arsene Wenger. And in some ways, the immediate successor always had a bit of a, a poison chalice. You know, Emery, I don't think he did a great job, but I also think he had a very difficult job. I think it's much better to be the second guy, and Arteta is that guy. And I think there's a bit more patience, maybe. And maybe everything that's happened in football with the coronavirus and the enforced break might just mean that people look at the situation, they look at the financial implications, they look at this young squad that Arsenal have, this young manager who's incredibly highly thought of, who people within the club are so impressed by. I think he surpassed even their expectations. And I think they might look at that and think we need to give this guy some time. Uh, and I hope so, because I think he's a really, really encouraging coach. I think he's shown some really good signs. And I'm excited to see what he'll do to this Arsenal team having had kind of a mini pre-season, because let's not forget, he took over in December in the craziest, most intense part of the season when it's game after game, you know, with the warm downs and things like that. He was having maybe a day of training before he had to think about the next game. Now he's got a period where he's had a few weeks. He's been able to communicate with the players. He's been in touch with the players, you know, via Skype, via Zoom, via WhatsApp, talking to people, sharing video clips, learning from what they've done so far. I think when football restarts again, we might see something that looks a bit more like Mikel Arteta's Arsenal team. And given what we've already seen from him so far, for Arsenal fans, I think that's a really exciting prospect. Look at you feeling all positive. Great. <laughs> well, football's <laughs> coming back. I wonder if I'm feeling positive. I'm very excited. I, uh, if I put my Arsenal hat on, I'm a little bit worried about that first game against Manchester City, but we'll see. James, brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, as always, uh, listeners, if, you, if you're not already subscribing to The Athletic, make sure that you go to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman uh, to enjoy all of James's articles 
on Arsenal. You can uh, currently take advantage of that 30-day free trial uh, if you want to try it out before committing to a a full subscription. Uh, And with that, you'll enjoy all the best football writing as the Premier League returns. And make sure also, don't forget to listen to The Athletic's dedicated Arsenal podcast, Handbrake Off, hosted by James Amy Lawrence, Ian Stone and the legend that is Lee Dixon as well. They release an episode every week. Keep an eye on this podcast feed and the Athletic app to hear all 20 of our Premier League countdown podcasts, each one dedicated to a different team. Thanks very much. We'll catch up with you soon. (music) 